Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Behind the Bits, where my guest and I talk serious about comedy. My guest for this episode is Dobie Maxwell. Dobie has been touring the nation, performing comedy since 1985. He's been on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. He's been on Comics TV with Byron Allen. He's been on numerous regional television shows, uh, been on radio for a long time, been on the Bob and Tom show. He's just been all over the place. He also has a Facebook page called The Maxwell Method of Stand-Up Comedy, where he brings comics together to talk about the art of comedy. And this is what we talked about on the podcast today. Dobie Maxwell was a real treat. You're going to enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and today I have with me Dobie Maxwell. How are you doing, Dobie? Scott Curtis, it is a pleasure to be on your podcast. I finally have something to add to my resume, yeah. and I am delighted. <laughs> to put it on there. Yeah, I, I, I major media event of 2020. <laughs> Well, I think it's a little more major for me than it is for you, buddy. But, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, if you're happy, I'm happy. Anytime I can flap my jaws and somebody listens to my extemporaneous bullshit <laughs> and who listens, I appreciate it. You know, it's a, a, one thing I think we're both interested in is stand-up comedy. And anytime people want to talk comedy, I'm in. Right, right. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to get things started uh, right off with uh, how I became acquainted with you. So it started out that um, first of all, I'm like Tom Dreesen's biggest fan, and uh, I saw a long line for that. Tom, Tom is the ambassador of stand up comedy. He's he a long line, like a roller coaster at Disneyland. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's uh, I'm he's just. He, he's just it for me. And um, I noticed, so I was friends with him on Facebook because he's nice enough to be friends with anybody that asked him on Facebook. And I noticed he posted on this group called the Maxwell Method. And I'm like, eh, what's all that about? So I just went over and joined it and found out that, you know, not only he was there, but you're there because obviously it's your page. And, you know, people like... Uh, Bill Gorgo's there. I mean, just all, all the greats. Um, all the greats that are still alive and know how to use a computer. Um, well, Jimmy Brogan was, was Leno's head writer. He's there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of working road comedians who've been working for a lifetime. So yeah. uh, there's a star cast for sure. Yeah, Lieberman's uh, on Lee there. Lieberman, yeah, everybody's there. I was probably on that page for a good year before I even posted anything because you don't really need to. I mean, you post... You post your um, uh, tidbits of knowledge, you know, you know, sporadically, but sometimes it's a couple times a week, sometimes a couple months, times a month, and there's always some good conversations going on there. I didn't really have anything to add for a long time, and then um, I, I think I finally did a nice post about Dreesen, and um, and I've chimed in a few times here or there, but it's like a um, real. It, I'd compare it to like maybe the Friars Club. Um, you know, it's where people can sit down and talk about comedy. Well, it's a pretty, pretty high uh, uh, esteem that you have, and I do appreciate that. And that's the whole reason I wanted to do that was people like yourself that are coming up the ranks and have no idea where to go to get the right answers. 
You know, it's like in my generation, when you, when you hear about sex, you, you know, you couldn't ask your, I grew up with my grandparents. You think the parents are tough. It's really hard. So you had to hear it on the street and you hear some things and that are right and some things that aren't and you don't know what's going on. So comedy is very much the same way. You know, and I think right. that to pass down the knowledge properly to the next generation, we all want comedy to continue. Right. You know, the world is completely different than it was when I started in comedy. I want the young people coming up today to say, okay, I want this to be my profession. My life, and I know that's a very small part of society because, uh, you know, everybody thinks they want to be a comic, and they get out there and they see what it's like and say, ooh, this is a lot harder than I thought. I thought superstardom would come in three weeks or less, and it's been four weeks, and I'm not a star yet. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And no, nobody knows how hard it is until you've, you've re- really put a year into it. You know, if, if if you can put a year into it and last that long, I think you you know somewhat of how hard it is to understand what comedy is as an art form and understand what actually performing is. Well, quite honestly, you can get your ass handed to you the very first night and not want to come back. So yep. there's no, don't, don't take it just a year. Yeah. I also people go on stage 100 times. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I've been in comedy 12 years. Well, how long have you been on stage? Four times. Well, then you haven't been in comedy 12 years. <laughs> it's, 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 unfortunately, there's a lot of things that, you know, you, you, it, it's Texas to say it's all hat, no cattle. Right. You get up there and get scorched a few times, and that's really hard to do. And I think to have somewhere, somewhere to go to experience everything and say, okay, ask questions. Why did I bomb? That's the ones you learn with when mm-hmm. you do poorly. And when I went good, and if I did good, why did I do well? What can I do more? Right. It's good to have mentors. I, I don't know why comedians seem to think that they can do it all by themselves. You know, musicians and singers and actors all have classes and mentors. So I decided I wanted to start one too. So it's been working really well. And to hear the nice things that you said and the reason you're here, I feel like I'm at least doing my job to a, a, some degree of what I intended when I started. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely hitting the mark as far as I'm concerned. And I, I thank it, you. And I just noticed, you know, you've got over 4,000 people um, on that page right now, and you get more people in every day. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's very much growing. And I really, uh, I weed out the weenies. Sometimes I have to. <laughs> I try to be tolerant. So I get the, I don't obey. It's like, okay, take that shit somewhere else. Right. I don't want to hear it. And uh, sometimes it's the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of your problems come from 20% of your people. Right. And I have had a, I probably had to whack 10 people to start it, but it's been well worth it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a mental maturity level you have to have to interact with that many people, and some people just don't have it yet. Correct. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not a babysitter. I've got my own problems, that's why. Right, right. So I wanted to... Uh, um, and just so everybody knows, um, if you want to find that page, it's the Maxwell Method of Stand-Up Comedy. Very easy to find. Just type, Facebook. Yeah, just type it in on your Facebook uh, search bar, and it'll come right up. Um, I don't know. Do you get right in, or do you ask a few questions before you allow people in? Well, I, I have teamed up with a, a business helper that's going to help me. He, he wants to ask some questions. So he, he used to be, I did not. Yeah. Uh, I did it pretty organically. You know, go, just be here and be glad. And, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't have a reason to be here, I'll find it. Right. But now I need to, I need to take it a little, a uh, little more, uh, business-like so i will be asking questions but nothing personal right. shoe size blood type yeah. favorite vegetable <laughs> you know, stuff like that. well that's actually a good idea because you know whoever 
whoever is signing up and they answer the questions, they at least wanted to sign up enough to answer the three or four questions that you pop out there. So, you know, let's correct. I think some would just like to join groups. You know, the the national uh, you know toenail clipper collectors of yeah. America. <laughs> like, you know, they want to join every group there is. That's fine. But I, I want people to interact. Right. You know, and I know that there's four thousand some people. It's funny to me because different people react at different times. Mm-hmm. Some of them think, boy, you know, I, mean, I think it was a couple hundred people maybe. And then I'll just get, I'll get private messages from people. It's like, okay, it's it's working, but not every person reads every post. And that's totally cool. Right, right. Yeah, you you, you find stuff that's important to you and uh, yep. and also things you can speak on. And uh, those are the things that really stick with you. you know, I, I tend to read everything I see and some, you know, some things – Makes sense to me, and some things, uh, you know, just are uh, either above my uh, above my ability or uh, uh, different than the type of comedy that that I do. So, you know, it, it doesn't stick as much, but some things really do. Well, that's really nice to hear that. One thing too, I wish there's going to be some way I can I can recycle some posts. I, mean, I save all the ones that I make, but so, you know, people come new every time, and sometimes every six months to a year, some of the same topics will come up again. Yeah. So I've heard it all by now since it's been up for a few years. But right. I have some, you know, come up with a, a, some kind of a reference point. And say, okay, I want to know about whatever topic, and they can go there and look at the posts and the threads that we've had. Right. I don't claim to be, you know, the know-all, be-all. It's just I just drive the bus. Yeah. There's so many great uh, insights from a lot of people, Tom Beeson included, and so many others that I'm thinking I learn from it too. So don't mm-hmm. I never set myself up as the the be-all, end-all authority. You know it. It, it still takes me aback that the people like you and Dreesen and you know Lieberman, just just all you guys that have paid your dues and are still you know still working doing doing what you need to do that you will take time to answer somebody's question and, and the latest one is one that you know I, I've seen come up probably probably four or five times since I've been on the group, the, the mic and the mic stand one, you know, you guys, you guys take, take the time to answer it, even though you've answered it, you've probably answered it a hundred times. And, uh, and you know, you still, you still do it. And, uh, you know, that, that, that says a lot for, um, for, for comics in general. Well, I appreciate that. And that's something that I, I was talking to other comedians just recently about this. The mic stand issue, I think, is probably going to be gone in the next couple of years. There won't be mic stands anymore. It'll right. be like the Madonna drive through window kind of thing. Yeah. And technology is advancing so rapidly that it won't be an issue. But for a long time, it was an issue. And there's so many things that could go wrong. When you take the mic out of the stand, the cord can come apart. Mm-hmm. And you can't get the mic at the right height. And, there's, and if you don't know what to do and you're a new comedian, you get up there. It's like when you drive a car. You don't think about all the things... Putting your hand on ten and two in the wheel, checking mm-hmm. your blind spot, checking your mirror, putting your signal on, getting out into traffic. These are things you have to kind of a check down list. Right. And then when, once you learn how to drive, you're eating a Big Mac, you're on your phone texting, you're flipping somebody off, you don't even have your seatbelt on, you just got to get out of traffic. <laughs> and that's how it is in comedy too. But you kind of learn those things at first because you don't know your material very well, you're inexperienced, you're never on stage. I always tell people, leave the mic in the stand mm-hmm. as long as you can. And the first thing I do is take it out, and I have for years, but I know what I'm doing. And I make it look easy. Go to some open mic, and you're going to see at least half the people have to, they don't know what to do, and it becomes an issue. The mic, no one ever goes to a comedy club and says, boy, that comic had great mic technique. Yeah. Boy, wasn't it great? <laughs> they just really handle it. But if they, if they do it wrong, 
like, oh, they couldn't even handle the mic right. Yeah. Yeah. wrong with that? It's, just, it's one of those fundamental things. People argue, I've got to take it out to be an artist. No, you don't. Yeah. You go on TV, you're not going to have a mic stand there. It's just, it's, this is 30 plus years of, of talking. I get, I'm, I, sometimes I have to pat people on the head. Sometimes I have to kick them in the ass. I don't think I'm right about everything. That's one thing I will go to my grave and say, for a beginner, keep the mic in the stand. You right. have the other things first and then take it out, put it up your ass, do whatever you want with it. But that's not until later. Right. And, and the, I, the funny thing is, is right before I got on with you, I, I added to the thread is if you are going to take it out of the mic stand, you need to move the mic stand behind you or away from you. Because, um, I, I remember the first time I took the mic out of the stand, I hit the stand with my arm and almost knocked it over. And sure. one, one of the other times after that, I, I decided I was going to take a couple steps and I almost tripped over the mic stand. So yeah, get that thing out of your way. If you do take the mic out. Well, here's another thing too, by having the mic in your, in your hand, you are taking away half of your gestures. It's like having a stroke. Yep. You're paralyzed on whatever side that you hold it, you hold your mic. Yep. And most people do the mistake of they put it right in front of their face. Mm-hmm. So basically I'm looking at the back end of your fist and a cord, if there is a cord. And there's just, there's so many things that are negative about that and, and it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. And, and, you know, people argue about it before, wait a minute, you don't even have five minutes of material and you're arguing with me or whomever else <laughs> about what to do with the mic. Right. First things first. First you crawl, then you walk, then you run. And there's a lot of order to this thing that most of us, myself included, did completely wrong. So it, it, it would be good to listen to somebody that's right. been there before and then go up and make your own mistakes. Yep, exactly. Make, make new ones. These are these are old mistakes that have been done for generations. Why yeah. would you want to make old mistakes? You want to write new material, don't you? You want to make new mistakes, too. Yep, exactly. So light your ass on fire and, and, and call it, and have the, the place burned down. Okay, yeah. that's new. That, 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 <laughs> we'll call it. The Curtis method of screwing up your career. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm going to stay away from that one. Uh, one Good. thing, well, one thing on the mics. Uh, I had, I had been, you know, I had been doing stand up for probably, I guess, three or four years, and I did a show, um, very small room, and they didn't have a mic, and um, mm-hmm. it freaked me out because. Yes. I, it took me back to um, they were interviewing Keith Moon about uh, why he played the drums. And uh, he said, it's because I have a barrier between me and the audience. And the funny thing is, is that little microphone in your hand is like a, an imaginary shield. That, uh, sure. it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a protective thing. It's like the, the blankie you had when you're a little baby. And, uh, it was, it was weird, but, uh, the, the thing I did realize is I was able to express myself better because I could use both my hands. I'm telling you, it comes down to that. I, I call it the, uh, the, the sound saber, the lightsaber in Star Wars is a light. This is your sound saber. You yep. have the power, you Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. You know, you get in front of the audience and if an alien craft would land and look at the, a comedy show going on, okay, why is the one earthling both illuminated and sound is amplified? That mm-hmm. must be the special one. That's the performer. Yeah. Okay. So no one else in the audience should be lit or sound checked. There should be a, a reward for that. I'm not going to sit here and listen to somebody. I, I want to be entertained. So the mic should be part of that. Right. Part of the process. Exactly. 
So um, obviously the the group is just a fantastic resource for, and really anybody that's in any level of their comedy career, there is info there for everybody. Um, I wanted to ask you, what got you into comedy? Uh, I was a baseball player. I had to try it with the Kansas City Royals when I was 19 years old. I'm the only left-handed person in my family, and a left-handed pitcher is like a good-looking blondie. Yep. You know, they recruit left-handers, and a good-looking blondie never has to buy a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, she could maybe not wash or not cut her hair or trim her nails, but some guys didn't ask her out. So it's one of those things with baseball, too. Left-handed pitcher, that's the golden child right there. Right. So I had to try with the Kansas City Royals. I got a second look, but I didn't get signed. Now, what am I going to do now? My whole life I was spent being, you know, wanted to be a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And I saw uh, in the newspaper, which if you're under 30, you don't know what a newspaper is. <laughs> but a newspaper, it was an ad. It said, it said uh, comedy uh, open mic. I didn't know what an open mic was. But then I figured, well, I like comedy. There's probably going to be about maybe two or 3,000 people there. <laughs> How stupid was I? I like, <laughs> big arena filled with people that like comedy because I know I like comedy. Then I went to this place that's called Sardino's in Milwaukee. It's significant because uh, I don't know if you know who Al Jarreau, the singer, was. That's oh, where yeah. he started singing. He's from, from Milwaukee like I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Sardino's and I had the, uh, the newspaper ad and I walked in. It was a Monday night. And I looked around and I counted seven people. Seven people. I was <laughs> in the wrong place. So I went back out of my car. Went in the hall. That's the right place, the right time. And I, and I walked uh, in back in and the show had started. By the time I walked back in, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the host who became one of my biggest mentors, a guy named C. Cardell Willis, who was just an awesome guy. He passed away a few years, but he was a comedy mentor. Mm-hmm. And he said, this show said, we got seven of Milwaukee's funniest comedians to come on stage. I was the only one in the place besides the bartender that wasn't a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> they go, oh, this is a whole different thing. I sure didn't expect this. And one thing led to another. And by the end of that, there was about maybe 30 or 40 people there. So that was pretty good. As uh, you know, that weren't comedians. And at the end of the this is open mic. If someone would like to try comedy, uh, this is your chance. Your chance to do it. I'm thinking these guys are horrible. I did that. Mm-hmm. And I got up on stage. And I, w- I was worse than they are. They were at the time. But I, I ad libbed the line, and it got a laugh. And I'm sure you know we could talk a whole podcast about your first, you know, power laugh. Yeah, that, that you can feel it. It's, it is a shot of heroin through your existence down to your bone to your soul. Yeah, and I got that big laugh. And if I wouldn't have got the laugh that night, I probably wouldn't have come back. And why did I? Because my my big C. Cardell Willis and all my mentors, they all told me the same thing: three words you got to remember: pay it forward, mm-hmm. pay it forward. And they they helped me. Not a lot of them did, but the ones that did, they all said, "Pay it forward." And that's what I do with my comedy group because the internet didn't even exist when I started. I'm paying it forward, so people come up the ranks, have a place to go. If someone told me the things that I had to know, but I went out and I did it. And hopefully I can pass out good information. So years from now, someone will start their own website or, or Facebook group or whatever and help others. It's, right. just, it's the right thing to do. The knowledge is in my head anyway. And uh, I think it's, you know, I could be bitter and not share it with people. So, yes, I, I totally missed my hopes and dreams by a lot, a lot of things I hit right on the mark. I didn't realize what it was like. So now I'm thinking, okay, rather than be the bitter bastard I thought I would never become and did, <laughs> Now I can help people coming up the ranks to not make the mistakes that I made and hopefully take it farther than I did. Right. Yeah. So after that, after that first open mic, that getting that one good laugh, did that, that hook you into it then? Yes. 
I was hooked. Oh my god, this is the first shot of heroin. Maybe <laughs> yeah. the addict was they, they try to chase that first high and they never catch. And uh, you know, it was, it was the one place in the, in the whole state of Wisconsin at the time to perform. It was Monday nights, and I kept going back and going back. And I went fifty-seven weeks in a row. It was fifty-seven times on stage, mm-hmm. and then I got my first paid gig, which was ten bucks for ten dollars or ten minutes. Ten minutes for ten dollars. Uh-huh. That's what I got. And uh, I apologize for that play so much because I was so horrible back yeah. then. It's a rock club now. I just I just opened for one of the guys for Kids in the Hall, which is last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the owner guy there was just a, a bartender way back 30 whatever years ago. And he said, uh, you were bad when you started. I said, everybody's bad when they start. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, you want to you destroy the evidence of it. You say, yeah. baby, you got kids? Do you have kids? Yeah, I do. Okay, how old are your kids? Uh, 29 and 25, 26. Okay, well, when yeah. they started out, their art was shit. Yeah. But you put it up on the fridge, but the dogs, my babies, and then when when they, they weren't looking, you crumble it up, put fish in it, you, you throw it out, but you love the kid, so you put the art up. The same yeah. is true with comedy. Your first year is going to be shit. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing. People are they're putting their video on YouTube for their first time. I said, no, no, those are dirty diapers. You don't save <laughs> them dirty diapers. You throw them away. It's good to save them for your own uh, uh, humility purposes to look like it. So I was terrible when I started. Right. Everybody is. And it's nothing wrong with that. So we're going to want to be superstars. This is not an instant success plan. Five times on stage and you're a, a star. No, when I first went on stage, somebody came up to me. I wish I would have known the guy's name because I'll give him credit. But some, you know, cranky old bastard like I am now came up to me and I had a pretty good set. He goes, nice set, kid. You're only 10,000 sets away. I mm. said, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> now I know I must have passed that 10,000 sets already. It's like, ah, it's over and over and over again. Mm. And I just did a set last night and the other comics were, were pretty green. And the people go, oh my God, you make it look so easy. I give my life to work like you. Yeah, I did give my life to perform like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and here I'm in some greasy little honky-tonk with 50 people and I'm getting... You know, not enough. Uh, and, uh, the price, the price of becoming good at anything is very high. You know, so it, yeah. there's a show part and there's the business part. I think you got to be good at both, and you don't know that starting out. That's why in my group, I want to I want to stress the business as we're growing the show. Right, it's so important. And and I'm that's sorry, I'm, I'm babbling, rambling here, but you're bringing up so many good points. Right, Scott, I'm sorry, I'll shut up. Now. And you really, you you really brought up something that that um. I think is so important for a, a young comic because, um, we obviously when you're young and you get into the comedy game, you are enamored with the art of it and you, mm-hmm. you've got your favorite comics. You, um, ev- everybody I talked to, they, they started reading all the books. Um, they, you know, um, first of all, comics are intelligent people. Um, they, I've never seen a stupid comic. Yeah. They play a lot of stupid characters. I've seen them do stupid things. Right. Myself included. Right. You're right. Not stupid people. Right. Yeah. They, they, they are able to soak in a lot of information and, and, and they just want to do it right. So that's the art part. The other part is getting your butt on stage and getting paid for it. And, and that is the part. Yeah. That is the part that, People don't know. And the other, and the other thing about, um, the business part of it is, um, looking at your own act objectively. Um, I see so many people do the same jokes over and over again. 
They don't get a laugh. Um, they change the wording. They, you know, I, I, I've seen, I've seen comics do the same joke for three years and it's not working for them. And either the ego or the, um, non-self-awareness or just the, 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 uh, you know, non-objectivity is causing them to keep that joke in their arsenal and it just needs to go. Uh, so. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and that that's one, you know, I didn't start until I was 50. That's one advantage you have when you start when you're older and I've been in business for a long time is man, you know, I would I would try a joke three times and if I didn't think it was going to work, it was dead to me. I I I'm not in love with that joke. Um I thought it was a good premise. It's not a good premise. See you later. You're you're gone. Um and and that is that is one thing that is really hard for a young comic to understand because they are in love with that premise and they think they can make it funny. Let's just let's just do, uh, distinguish between a young comic and a new comic because right. a lot of I mean, there's, there's a wave of people like yourself that have started at age fifty or over. They've raised their children, they've had their career, mm-hmm. they're not going into retirement, and they want to try something that they've always wanted to try. And that's very good. I highly encourage it. A lot of people I consider my friends that didn't start until they were in their 50s or even older. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know you can only get as good as you can because there, there's a lot of years that you were living your life. You have life experience to choose to, uh, to go back on and look at. Right. But you, you only go, well, well, Rodney didn't get a train until he was 50. No, Rodney started when he was 14. His dad was in the business. And even though he was doing something else, raising his kids, he always was around the business. Mm-hmm. So really, that's really kind of a... I want to just put that out there because so many people think, well, you know, I was a plumber and now I'm 58. Well, you would have been 58 anyway if you would have been a comedian, but you didn't spend your formative years doing comedy. You might have raised your family. You might have had a good income and all the things that I wish I would have done now. Right. Be realistic. I don't want to put unfair pressure on people. I think that's so important. Right. Well, you're squelching my hopes. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just buffering you for what reality is. I have been trying to get famous since 1983, and I will bet 90% of the people or higher that listen to your podcast have never heard me before. You know, you ever see the movie Bull Durham? Yeah. I mean, you're, not, you're not a sports guy, right? but uh, Bull Durham is a movie about baseball, and Kevin Costner is the, the crash the old part like I am. Mm-hmm. Just, he was in the Major League 17 days, and you get the Tim Robbins character who's got the nuclear fastball, nuclear and he goes up in the big leagues, and it's a lot of, of that in comedy as well. Mm-hmm. I've been around every situation. People say, well, how come I haven't heard you? Because I've been in Duluth, Minnesota, making $200 with my check engine lights on, trying to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't out schmoozing at the comedy store trying to get Steven Spielberg to put in his next movie. And that's not good or bad. It just is. There's the craft and there's the business. I keep going back to those things because it's so important mm-hmm. to have both. Well, how come yeah, I'm funnier than that person? Well, that person is a better networker than you, a better yeah. business person than you. Here's one thing. If anybody listening to the podcast, here's the one number one tip, tidbit, jewel, whatever you want to say. I wish I would have known this when I started out. The biggest mistake everybody makes when they start out in any kind of show business is they assume the people in charge are competent. Yeah. They assume that. And it is so not true. People tell you certain things when you start out just because somebody books a comedy room or owns a comedy club. It's not mean they know their asshole from apple butter. And I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you have you need somebody that you trust as a mentor that can say, he's full of shit. She mm-hmm. knows what she's talking about. Or just the opposite. And it's all a guess. Jackie Mason, if you're listening, if you're new, if you're under 50, 
look up Jackie Mason. He's an old-time comedian who's been around for years. He said he was in the business for 50 years. And he said, at the time I heard the quote, he said, every joke that I write is a guess. I guess if the audience is going to like it. And he said, I, I have 50 years of, of being in front of audiences. I have a pretty good idea. But still, they're the final judge. So the people, like you said, they go up there and do the same joke over and over and over and over again. Well, chances are it's not a good joke or maybe it could need a tweak. Maybe you're not ready to do that joke yet. Mm-hmm. Put it away for two years, five years, ten years, and then bring it back. I've got a ton of material. When I thought of the idea, I wasn't ready to do it yet. And some of it is just shit. It's just not good. Right. Like, you think it is, and you guess it. It's like, well, you know what? I, I talk to musicians. and say, I put the songs on my album. That's going to be the hit. Those are never the hits. Mm-hmm. They're never the ones. You always hear stories about a lot of bands and singers. Well, I needed one more song. I just threw on this thing at the last minute, and that was their biggest hit. Yeah, uh, that keeps us humble because the audiences always buy from us what they want, not what we want. We want to be so and so. Well, the audience might not see it that way. You have to give them the respect because they're the customers. Yeah, they're right. And uh, it, it, I had a, I've had a conversation with a couple of my interviews. Uh, uh, the audience is who we need to please, but um, I, I just saw Mark Marin on Friday, and uh, and the funny thing is, I I saw Lewis Black a couple years ago. Um, audiences still don't know how to act in a comedy club or a theater. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know I it. Uh, Marin was doing his act on Friday and a guy yelled from the back, uh, depressing. And, uh, Marin's like, did you not know who you were coming to see? And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you know, Lewis black just doesn't take any shit. The, the, the one, the one show that we went to see my wife and I, um, everybody wanted to be part of the show. And he kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to interact with you. This isn't this isn't that type of show. And he finally just had to shut him completely down and um, absolutely ignore him until they shut up. But it's just it's funny. Um, people who go to a comedy club, you have to expect there's going to be a percentage of the audience that doesn't know what comedy is all about, and they think it's all about them. And that's shameful. George Carlin said he said people. Comedians react to hecklers in, in various ways. He goes, I prefer to apply a verbal sledgehammer to the base of the skull. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I love yeah. Dr. Carlin for many reasons, but there's a good one. Yeah. Harry Seinfeld used, used to say he'd handle it. He would just stop the show and say, is everything okay? You seem upset. Are you all right? Mm-hmm. That's what he tried to disarm on that way. Uh, I personally have, in, I don't want to say enjoyed hecklers. But I have, uh, they call me the Razor. I've got so many legendary stories, which I don't want to be a legend about. <laughs> I started a riot in Cincinnati one time. The cops came, shut down the show. Uh-huh. I don't take shit from anybody. My father was a bully. I don't take bullies or idiots well. Mm-hmm. Most uh, hecklers are a combination of a bully and an idiot. And add alcohol to that, the results aren't good. No. You know, so I feel, <laughs> I feel like Bruce Lee walking down a dark alley. I'm not uh-huh. looking for any fights. Well, you're going to bring one. If anybody gets messed up, it's going to be you. Yeah. It's going to be me. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of times people are frustrated comedians. They're dented cans. Their father didn't tell them they love them. They want to impress their girlfriend. It's just, sometimes women heckle. Usually it's because of alcohol. But guys are aggressive hecklers. Yeah. They're making their woman laugh. They, uh, they're, they paid money. They're jealous or whatever tweak is going on in their head. 
And it's a very delicate situation. You described this situation with uh, Mark Maron and Lewis Black. I just did a show last night at a coffee shop that's just trying to start comedy mm-hmm. in a suburb of Chicago. And there was about 50 people in there. And it was a table right in the front. And exactly the same thing. I had to slam them and slam them and slam them. And they, and they would not shut up. And I talked to the owner afterwards. I said, look, it's going to have comedy in here. You gotta, the MC didn't say anything about Keep your table talk to them, which doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it comes to the point where it's just, uh, Steve Allen said, well, that sooner or later, every live performer gets sick of entertaining drunks. I have reached that point years ago, and it's just part of it. And I, I don't think it's right. Uh, you know, you, you got to deal with it, but right. I don't enjoy it. And right. you think someone like you know, Lewis Black or even Mark Maron. Mark Maron is my age. I've heard his name forever. We've never crossed paths. I would like to sit and talk to him because mm-hmm. he comes from a different part of the country than I do. But it's like he's been through all the same wars, and I really would like to I- interact with him. He's had his, his problems and his issues, and he, his podcast really made him. Good for right. him. You know, yeah. I'm very, uh, very respectful of that. Yeah. But it's like, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're in a, you know, a 2000 seater or a 50 seat coffee shop, it is going to happen. And that's part of being a comedian. Nobody has in their dream, you know, I'm going to be rich and famous and get a sitcom and a movie deal. And there's, there's all these hecklers. I'm going to have to vanquish and where they're going to be. You don't think mm-hmm. about the heckler part. That's part of the real world. Yeah. Like having fights with your wife. Oh, she's the woman of my dreams. Well, you know what? Her fart smell, and she's going to be yelling at you about everything you do. So you better enjoy that that honeymoon period because it's going to end in a hell of a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think all comics need to understand it's part of the equation. And you know, when when you get up there, there's a chance that you know people are going to be uh, throw, throwing stuff at you. You know, heckling, uh, just just being you know general assholes, and y- you have to decide how you're going to handle it. You know, you can, you can handle it aggressively. You can ignore them and, or you could do the Seinfeld method, but you, you kind of have to have in your back pocket, how you're going to respond. But here's the thing that people don't realize when they're new. It's so funny to me. I taught classes for 20 plus years in many locations, but mostly out of Zanies in Chicago. And there's been probably over 3000 students of all walks of life that have taken those classes. Mm-hmm. And the top two questions I get asked from beginners, what would you think they would be? Just just, just take a wild stab. Oh, man. The I, top two questions that people ask in their first, you know, hour of class. You know, um, you know I, I would say they would ask, uh, what, uh, h- how long is it going to take me to get a half hour of material? That, that would be a smart question, but okay, try again. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, wh- wh- when am I going to get on The Tonight Show? <laughs> Well, you're, you're almost there. The, yeah. the two questions they hear the most, and it always makes me just laugh, is, uh, number one, what about hecklers? Number two, do I need a manager? Oh, <laughs> do I need a manager? There you go. Yeah, okay, yeah, you, you haven't written your first joke, do I need a manager? Yeah. yeah. You, need, you, need, you need to manage yourself. <laughs> but, I mean, they don't know what to ask. You know, I, I think, you know, how long does it take to get five minutes of material, much less 30? Yeah. It's a long time. Well, I've got hours of material. Oh, no, no, I've seen you perform. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, you don't have you don't have minutes of material yet, right? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I use old references. I realize that because I'm old. But if people listening know who Vince Lombardi is. Mm-hmm. He's a football coach. I'm not assuming that everybody knows who that is, but he was a legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, and uh, he had a, a one play called the Packers Sweep. And look, just Google the Packers Sweep, and he, he diagrammed it, and he talked about it for hours and hours of practice. I just would read articles about the players like coach we know the play we know the play and then the, the, one of the players said you know it was it was fourth quarter and it was 10 below zero and everybody in the stadium knew that the Packers sweep was coming 
but we knew it so well it was ingrained in our head and we got the, the touchdown and we won the game mm-hmm. same is true you i call it a high five five minutes or, well i got hours no no give me five minutes of material get on TV, you're going to be doing five minutes. If you're auditioning at a club or a venue or to open for somebody, you're going to be doing five minutes. That first five minutes to be your, you're you, you doing your sleep backwards, forwards, you know, every nuance. And that takes years to get on stage and do it literally hundreds of times. Right. They said before Jerry Seinfeld did his first Tonight Show, he did his bit 80 times. Eight yeah. Oh, eight times. There was a time I think it was, it was eight, more than seven or eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went on Craig Ferguson for my first my first TV shot national was uh, I think I did my set eight times mm. and it was completely wrong. I, we were gonna do the whole other podcast. What people watch? Oh, I saw your Craig Ferguson set, man! You rocked it. That was the worst thing. Everything went wrong on that set on stage and off. Oh my god, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> now go watch it. You know, and somebody looks at that well, you know, I didn't think it was that bad. No, because you didn't see you know you didn't see behind the curtain all the things that went wrong. Mm. I pulled it off because I paid my dues. It was really funny. Thank you. I appreciate that, but that's not how it is. It takes years. Know you. What are you presenting yourself? There's a guy named Jamie Masada, uh, and, and Tom Greeson is a friend of his. Uh, he, he runs the, uh, the Laugh Factory out in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I did my first set at the Laugh Factory years ago. And on a later night, I had to literally follow a, a Chinese guy going up, and he sang a song about rice. You know, it, it was like this stereotypical Asian guy thinking this guy was just off the boat. And it was brutal, and he, he killed the crowd, and I had to go up, and, and I had five or six minutes. And again, five minutes. I did my act. I got some laughs. I, Jamie Masada has a little powwow with all the comedians after the show. And I sat down with him, and he said, okay, uh, very good. You had funny jokes, but who is Dolby Maxwell? What are you talking about? He goes, the sitcom people come in here and say, okay, I got a funny guy, Dolby Maxwell. Who's, I said, Jamie, let's not kid anybody. Sitcom people aren't going to come in here and say who's Dolby Maxwell. He goes, see, there, you're funny, you're smart at, but your first five minutes should be your life, who is around you, where you're from, what you do, who's your character. Paint that picture mm-hmm. of who you are in the first five minutes. And that was the wisest advice I think anybody could ever give me or anybody else. You know, that's not being funny. It's, it's being funny with a purpose. What can I do with this person? Can I put them in a movie or a sitcom? What can I do? Who, who can I use this comedian to book to get the biggest money? Clubs are dead. If you're coming up now at any age, you think comedy clubs are going to be your source of income. That Those days are gone. That ship has sailed. Yeah. I started, there was no internet. I did it for 20 whatever years. Yeah, I could go out and make a living when I was 23 years old and work 50 52 weeks a year if I wanted to. Mm. Those days, they're, they're, I can't get good like that anymore. If you're starting out, I could work six nights a week. Ain't, ain't happening anymore. Got to have a new plan of attack, new strategy, which mm. means be more laser focused on what you're trying to present. Yeah. Just being funny is not enough. It's got to be an entire package. And that, that that's the hard part for, for for the young folks to understand. I mean, I, when, I, when I think of myself, you know, when I was... 22 23 there is no way i i would have stuck with it it, it just wouldn't have happened because right. it's you know i i was i didn't have any direction and um i loved comedy but there there was just no way that i could have stuck with that at that point and and really uh you know that it's come full circle um we've got a small comedy community here in south bend area where i live and we you know my whole thing is i i really don't care what happens with me but man there's some guys with sparks out there and i want 
I want to do everything I can to lift them up. And and that's also the reason I started the podcast. You know, let's let's give something like the the Maxwell method of stand up comedy. Let's do you know, let's do something over over a podcast and give give these people the nuggets that they need to um, be successful. But around here, you know, I put you know, I put on shows here just so I can get other people on stage. Well, that's really cool. I, I commend you for that. And that's, that's paying it forward before you've gotten it yourself. I really, <laughs> uh, respect and appreciate that. No, that's a good thing. But you're, okay, if there's those young comics, again, difference between young comics and new comics. If the young comics are listening to this podcast, and I hope they are, here's the thing. You're in South Bend, Indiana. Now you have, uh, you, you're close to Chicago, you're close to Detroit, you're close to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Be careful. Another, the second probably biggest mistake that comedians make, they'll get five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, and they're way not ready, and they'll get in their car and they'll go to every comedy venue stage within a thousand miles of where they live. Mm-hmm. And what they don't think about is the person that is in charge, the gatekeeper, whatever you want to call that person, uh, will see you at a level, and that level that they first interact with you, they'll see you at that level for the rest of your life. And, and, you know, if you start out and you look an open micer to them, they're going to look at you as an open micer. You could cure cancer. You could get 10 Comedy Central specials. You could be the new French cat. They'll still look at you as the open micer. So pick your stages to be at, to be bad. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and, then, and then come up the ranks and say, okay, then go to a new stage. Okay, I'm not an open micer anymore. I'm an opening act. Or I'm a feature act. Or I'm starting to close shows right now. Mm-hmm. And that, again, should be gone over with a mentor. Where am I going to work? Don't just go to every stage that's around you in all three cities, burn yourself in Detroit and Chicago and Indianapolis, and you're not going to be an open mic So now when you get good, you have to go even farther away. Oh my God, I got to go to Texas. I got to go. That's one of the things that I was smart enough when I started. I, I knew that I, I was going to be bad and I didn't approach the big venues until I thought I was ready. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be more than ready than less than ready. You'll make your, you'll make now I go to places. Oh my God, you're the best guy I've ever seen. How come I've never heard of you before? Well, I think I took that a little too far. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be all the way, but make sure you're ready before you go to the next level of venues. And right. It's a huge mistake that 99% of comedians make. So please don't make that. If this podcast, you listen to it, if that's one thing you take from it, it's totally worth it. Right. So that's a long-term thing. Yeah. And I, I've actually heard of comics who, when they do travel um, and go to different open mics, they actually use different names. Well, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah, that's not a bad, that's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, so uh, then again, don't don't confuse it when you throw it out there too. I, and I'm you're trying to outsmart it, and that's I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I, I will say that's that's clever uh, a twist I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. But just know it that you got to you got to get good, and people they think they're better than they are way before I've been on stage for 26 times. <laughs> well, you're still a first grader. Yeah, and when you get out there, now you're going against people like me that are lifers. And that's not a fair fight. You shouldn't have to be fighting. Be, enjoy first grade. There's a lot of fun stuff that goes on mm-hmm. there. You know, enjoy the open mics. Enjoy the scene. You know, the people that you come up with are, are not going to be there. 90% of them will not be there in a year or five years or 10 years. I was one of them that lasted. When I started, myself included, I wouldn't have thought I'd be the one out of Milwaukee that was the lasting one. Mm-hmm. I was the young punk. All the other comedians there, where they looked at me like, who's this idiot? And, you know, a year later, they're coming to me for advice. <laughs> you know, I, I, I happen to be a natural. A lot of people are not naturals. Right. Like, well, I don't know how long you want this to go. But some people are just, they naturally have it. Well, my, Michael Jordan had natural talent too, but he had a work ethic that outworked everybody. Right. So don't think, well, I'm funny. I make all my friends laugh. That's not enough. And you know, I don't think I'm that funny, but I'm a good business person. Those people tend to get farther than the people that, that are funny mm-hmm. naturally. It's yep. so unfair. 
<laughs> it really is. I mean, I mean, come on. How how funny is Larry the Cable Guy? Really? You know what? <laughs> Who are you asking? And that's the thing. I don't. I, I, I His name is Dan Whitney. Yeah, I didn't have this. His real name. And uh, I, Dan is is about a month older than me. He was born February sixteenth, seventeenth, uh, rather, nineteen sixty three. On March fourteenth, nineteen sixty three. I knew him as Dan Whitney. You know, almost to when he started. Yeah. He's not, a, he's not from the South. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. And he did old jokes in his act. And he was just a guy, just a white comic. He had Caucasianitis, which I have, which you have. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the 90% of Koreans are white males. And he found that character. And that's what the public bought. Yeah. He didn't even expect that. No. So it doesn't have to be funny. Are you in this to be funny? Are you in this to be an artist? Or are you in this to be uh, in business? Yeah. You know, and, and you don't have to be. This is all I want to do what I think is funny. Okay, fine. You're going to be working in front of 50 people until you're 75 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's good for you. There's no right or wrong answer. That's the thing. There's no one method of success. Well, I have to do it this way. No, there's all kinds of ways, and, and everybody's journey is different. So mm-hmm. accept that, embrace that, but be smart enough to talk to the people that did it before you. Yeah. The the funny thing is with somebody like Larry the Cable Guy or Carrot Top or you know anybody like that, um, they are a brand, it's not, it's not so much the act, it's the brand, you know, carrot top, you're going to get all the crazy shit on the stage. And, um, you know, Larry's going to say, get her done 10,000 times during an hour. And it's, that's just it. That's, that's their brand. That's who they are. Okay. Here's the third, the third tip I'm going to give. That's worth everything you listen to. Never look down at somebody that you don't, particularly like personally that has made a million dollars right instead look at why they made a million dollars mm-hmm. well they sold out well you know what you'd sell out too yeah <laughs> right. but okay what did they do they had to do something right to attract enough people to be able to stay in business i hated carrot top as much as any self-respecting i thought i was a purist comic and he uses props so i had a radio job where they had it was a country radio station in Salt lake city utah uh-huh. And they had a country festival in Colorado. There was 40,000 people on this big, like a Woodstock of, of country music. And they also had a comedian. And Jeff Foxworthy did it for several years. And the year that he, Jeff Foxworthy stopped, they hired Carrot Top. Mm. And I was there with my, my radio partner, and it was 40,000 people. And they had a comedian in that situation. It had a big, uh, uh, you know, video screen. But it's hard to do comedy outside in front of 40,000 people. Yeah. And it was Carrot Top. And he went up there, and I wanted to split my wrist. I'm like, oh, my God, what is life coming to? And, you know, they gave him a standing ovation, and they loved him. Mm-hmm. And the next day, hey, wasn't Carrot Top great? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm wrong here. He entertained those people. Yep. I don't know if I could have got a standing ovation from 40,000 people. I'm the purest comedian. Mm-hmm. He figured out what it was, what their level was. He's a product. And he did it. And you don't have to hate anybody. It might not be for you. See, comedians look at the people, well, so-and-so is not funny. They're not, no, no, you didn't finish the sentence. They're not funny to you. Right. That's okay. Any performer that ever goes up, a comedy performer, someone's not going to like you. You're going to have enough people that do like you to be able to make a living. And sometimes that's only enough to make a meager living. I squeaked out a living for 30-plus years. They would say, oh, I don't think you're funny. All right, that's okay. The biggest hacks <laughs> in the world. You know, Elvis got banned from the Grand Ole Opry. The Beatles got rejected from how many record labels? Yeah. You know, you can't, you're never going to please everybody. I think people go up to, well, I'm funny. No, you, you're funny to you, and you're not funny to everybody. It's, it's, kinda, it's a product. 
Nobody goes to every fast food restaurant. They might like Burger King. They might like whatever it is. Know that all you're out for is your percentage of fans that like you. If you focus on that, you won't have time to be a Carrot Top or a Larry the Cable Guy hater. So many times, okay, you time hating. They've got their $100 million. They don't care about you. They're making these posts. These guys are hack. This guy's terrible. Okay, well, you know, I like to be that bad where I have $100 million a year, too, and have people hate me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's that's totally right and and you know they 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 found their niche they found out what's what was going to work for them and they uh you know they can buy and sell us a few times over so um now, you got to respect I, that I, I don't know you do have to respect that now adam sandler is another one when it comes to movies i i, I have I, I hated adam sandler every one of his movies this is unwatchable this is shit <laughs> but then I just saw the other day where it was his last was it twelve movies in a row made a hundred million dollars yeah. profit in a row mm-hmm. and that was bigger than I think Tom Cruise or Sylvester Stallone or somebody I'm thinking okay well who's who's right and who's wrong okay I think he sucks but millions of people love him right. well doesn't matter if I'm wrong and I hear he's a great guy I've never met Adam Sandler I don't mm-hmm. know about him I don't find his comedy funny in the least but he probably won't find or maybe he would find me funny because hey I knew what it was. I hear he's a wonderful guy who puts his friends in movies. I've never heard a bad word about him. Mm-hmm. Who wins? Not me. And I think I think the, a, a younger comic needs to get that attitude sooner than later. Yeah, you can look well. That's that's uh, just not funny. You know who Bruce Hornsby is? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, he's got it's, some it's, big old hands. <laughs> Bruce Hornsby. Yeah. Have you ever seen I, his I, hands? I, I had no idea. Well, I really have not. No. Yeah. You know, as his obviously he's a piano player. The reason why he can play the way he can, his hands are just huge. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're a new comedian, you're, you're young and you're a millennial. Bruce Hornsby is a piano player like uh, Scott Ted, and he is a uh, funny, uh, not funny. He's a, a big star. And he, I, I heard a, a NPR interview with him one time. I didn't know who it was until after the interview was over. But he said, I'm listening to the radio one day, and my daughter comes in and said, Dad, how come 90% of the songs on the radio suck? Mm. And he said, I got off my chair and I hugged my daughter and I said, honey, you are my daughter and I love you. Mm. The average person that listens to music only needs about three chords to satisfy their musical needs. You and I are deeper and different than that. We have got more musical knowledge, so we need more to, to entertain us. And, and that's not good or bad, but it's a privilege that we share. The same is true with comedy. You know, comedians tend to be, like you said, intelligent people. They're students of the game, mm-hmm. and they need more than the average, you know, fart joke or the first common denominator of shows. All the sitcoms that, you know, two broke girls or three and a half men or three yeah. and a half brain cells or whatever yeah. the shows are that most of the masses <laughs> love. Comedians say, this is crap. I've never watched that before. Well, be happy because the masses are asses. Mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton said that in 1790. There were idiots then who have now crossbred into providing a, us with a society of the super stupid. So if the comedian <laughs> needs a little bit more to get him to laugh, to take that as a compliment, but know that the average fan base is not that. Right. You know, but Larry the Cable Guys appeal to the masses. Well, you know, there's someone that does a Lewis Black of the world or a Dennis Miller or somebody that has more of a of an intelligent, uh, you know, fan base. Enjoy it, but know that you're not, you're like a jazz musician. You're probably not going to be, you know, Jay-Z. Yeah. And that's just, sorry, if it ain't in you, it ain't in you. Mm-hmm. And if, if it ain't in you, I mean, the, the thing that I talk about a lot, um, and I've talked to probably most of my guests is finding your voice. And if you can't stomach being carrot top, then don't try because 
you may be you may be rich, but uh, you know you're going to end up dying young because uh, all the drugs you have to take to get through every day. So, you know, so find find out who you are and and try to work with that. Well, you think about this: what is your reason for getting on stage? Mm-hmm. And you have to know that you don't necessarily have to say it out loud, mm-hmm. but you have to know that you you, you don't have to. Do you like to share your reason for being on stage? Uh, you know. I always wanted to, and I got I got thrown into it when they asked me to um, entertain my uh, uh, company's Christmas party, and I actually okay. I actually said no, and then my wife talked me into it. I did it, um, and you know, doing doing that, I knew everybody, so I just roasted people, so that that was easy. But after I did it, I'm like, eh. I think I want to do this. So I, you know, I went to my first open mic and, um, did that and didn't do very well, but absolutely loved the fact being on stage in front of a bunch of people I didn't know. So I, and then I just continued from that. It was just, um, you know, meeting, meeting the people, um, doing the act. Uh, you know, I've probably had, um, what I feel like six really successful shows in five years and those are the shows i think about and keep me going because i want to have another one like that well uh okay good at least you you have a grasp for that so many people they don't know i want to get on stage and i want to be rich and famous and i want to have a swimming pool and i want to date two models (laughs) and blah 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 Well, well, well okay that's that's good if that's your reason to get on stage but i think you need to know uh, a little deeper than that. To me, I had a horrible childhood. I never, I don't conceal it. My father was a biker. My mom was a drug addict, heroin addict. We abandoned three children. I was five months old. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather said, I didn't, I didn't want to put you in an orphanage because I didn't know where you'd go. So I decided it was my job to raise you myself. And for my, my sons, we screwed up on you. And my grandparents got a divorce. It's horrible. Most, I mean, it's not all. And if you didn't come from a bad childhood, don't think you can't be successful. But a lot of times we don't know how to to, to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And all the therapy in the world can't deal with that. But you go up on stage and you get the laughs. It is medicine. I love to hear those laughs. Oh, my God, it soothes me. It makes the audience feel good. It's win-win. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I used to sneak up and watch The Tonight Show in the 70s when I was a kid. I was supposed to be sleeping. But I had my grandparents' black-and-white TV in the basement of the house. And I'd sneak up and had the volume on real low, and the comedian would come on at the end of the show. It's yeah. between, like, you know, quarter to 12 and 12 o'clock. And I would see the guys, and I saw Tom Dreesen, and he said, oh, man, he's from Harvey, Illinois. I got yeah. a map. Where's Harvey, Illinois? Hey, that's by Chicago. That's kind of close to me. And I don't know why I thought that. I think, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. I always thought comedians came from New York or California or mm-hmm. someone, and I couldn't maybe do that too. And I think you kind of you kind of know your own thing. If, if you if you had a an interview, you want to show people, you know, the girls that wouldn't date you, your family that told you you're a piece of shit with your kid, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Once you know that, and you get on stage, and in, and you're never they're never going to be impressed with you. Yeah, you know, they're, they're never going to like. And you, you, you got to know this. I didn't know this until I was decades in the business. If you know this early on, you can have a different battle plan and you avoid yourself the, the drug and alcohol-fueled sadness therapy, mental torture that <laughs> show business is. Yeah. If you have someone in your corner and say, well, this is why I want to do it, this is how I'm going to try to get to my goal, and the rest is let, it's the chance. You can be the best that you can be. Well, I want to be as big as Carrot Top. No, you're going to be as big as you can be. That's mm-hmm. all. 
And so many people make the mistake of comparing themselves to any other kid. Or the comics that have been rough. Well, we've been both doing comedy in South Bend for, for three years, and he got to do the Saturday Zanies in Chicago, and I didn't. We've been doing it the same amount of time. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's all individual journeys, and there's no room for jealousy. Be happy for anybody that gets anything, because yeah. it's so hard to get any kind of tidbit. Yeah. Be truly happy for them, and don't think, well, if they get something, the pie is limited. They're taking it away from me. No, that's not no. true. Yeah. It's not true. You know, if it, I hate Amy Schumer. Okay, well, Amy Schumer's audience is probably not going to be your audience. The, the same fans are not going to like both. So be happy for Amy Schumer. If she's, she'll blow her own head off. If she, you know what I'm saying? Don't worry about Worry about you. Mm-hmm. So important. Somebody kind of gets so bitter and angry, worrying about everybody else that gets what they think they should have. Wasted energy. Write some jokes. Right. Study some older comics. If you're old, go young. If you're young, go old. There's not enough hours in a day to study everything. There's no room for bitterness. Right. And and one of the things you touched on uh, about your childhood, uh, we one thing that's pretty common among just about every comic out there is we're all a little bit broken. And, oh yes, dented cans, <laughs> I call. Them. Yeah, dented cans. Yeah. And we don't, we don't need to break each other in the process. If somebody, if somebody's doing well, lift them up and, and be happy for them. But think about this though. If we're used to being in a dented can, broken society or environment of our home origin, we're not used to, we're not trained to deal with other people in a positive way. Exactly. That's why it's even more important yeah. to have a mentor that at least could show you, hey, look, you know, this is maybe the, your first natural reaction is to be jealous or angry. Yep. But if you just back up a little bit, be happy, learn, congratulate, network. There's plenty of room for everybody. And I, I'm not trying to sound like Tony Robbins here, mm-hmm. but it really is true. And it took me decades to, to learn that. Yeah. And a lot of the, the, the opinions I had on the Carrot Tops and the Larry the Cable Guys of the world have completely changed 180 degrees from when I started. Mm-hmm. And I was in my clique of comedians and in the 20 somethings with testosterone bubbling like chili and, <laughs> and you want to impress the chicks and you want to do all this stuff. And you get, then you get a little older and thinking, okay, life's got a little bit bigger scope. There's more things to enjoy rather than, you know, you know who John Cougar Mellencamp is? He's oh. in the same state. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he had a great quote. He goes, a lot of really good things happened to me in the 80s and 90s, but I didn't enjoy any of them. And, and I was always worried about the next thing, the next big, the next TV show was going to make it, the next hit. I had all these great things happening, and I missed mm-hmm. out on all of them because I didn't, I didn't enjoy what I had. Right. Very yeah. profound. Very profound. Yeah, you really do need to enjoy your own wins. It's 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 very important. If you're yeah, yeah if you're constant, if you're constantly, I mean, you have to obviously take an objective view of your own your own career and your own arc. But you 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 do have to enjoy when something does go well and uh, and relish in it. Well, here, here's the thing, too, that I think is so important, and I'm, I'm going to make a post about it. So if, if, if this is ahead of what I'm going to post in the group, but it's going to be in the group anyway, mm-hmm. is catalog your journey. Mm-hmm. Catalog it from when you start. Now you got to, you could do it on your phone. I couldn't do it when I started on my phone. Yeah. But take a picture of the inside of the venue, the open mic, the shittiest one-nighters you ever do, the outside, the inside. Take a picture of all the comedians you work with. Some are going to pass away. Some are going to be big stars. And even depending on how far you take it, you'll look back someday and you'll, you'll want all that information. Mm-hmm. The, the lowest of the low, the crappy hotels you stayed in, all the things that went wrong at the beginning, 
those are the things that stories are made out of. And believe it or not, that's what you talk about. Oh, remember back in the day, you're poor, you're broke. You're those are the days that are the sweetest memories. Mm-hmm. And I never would have thought of that now, but it's it's totally true. Yep, yep. When when you're in it, it sucks, but uh, when you get away from it, it's a little bit more romantic. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think like like there's guys that played minor league baseball or something that they might not have made the major leagues, but they they, they chase their dream to as far as they could chase it, mm-hmm. and that's more than a lot of people will have the guts to do. And well, I was a failure. No, you weren't. You played double A baseball, and you had some friends, and you did it for three or four years, and you knocked the chick up, and you married her, and you had a job, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Don't look at anything as failure. No. You be the best you can be, and you enjoy the adventure, enjoy the ride. There's always there's the one person. I don't care who your uh, epitome is: Leno, Seinfeld, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, whoever it is. And there's everybody else in wrestling. I was a, I was a pro wrestling announcer for mm-hmm. a long time, and I learned a lot of the pro wrestlers. There was Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, and there's everybody else. Well, mm-hmm. plan on being everybody else yeah and once you and once you can do that it's like you go as far as you can go and you have a lot better attitude that people will like to be right don't try to blow everybody off the stage mm-hmm. and be the best that you can do and if you only have five minutes make it the best five minutes you got yep yep exactly um one of the things i wanted to ask you you know the your your career has uh spanned a lot of years now what what do you think your best moment is I don't think I had a career. I had a job. Mm-hmm. I had a job in comedy. I was able to make a living. I didn't have a career. When I first started in comedy, I was 19 years old, 20, right around there. And I kind of, I was, one of the things I did smart was I asked anybody I could get that had any information and advice that was uh, more experienced than me, I would try to, you know, but if I had to buy him a hamburger or drive him to the gig, whatever, I just wanted to pick their brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what are, what are the years that are the, the peak years? And a couple of people said, well, between about like 35 to 45, those are like the peak years right there. Mm-hmm. But okay, before that, you just got kind of getting ready. And I think, okay, I was also in my early 20s. And I did then I got to Los Angeles, and I was about 34, 35, right around there. I moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked out there, what are the main years? Well, about 21 or 22. They got to get you early. <laughs> and, well, wait, wait a minute. You just told me I'm 35. <laughs> so they're, they're really, I don't know if, if that's true or not, whatever the, the peak is, what was my, my best thing? I, I've, I've had literally thousands of really good shows where people could not laugh any harder. Mm. Sometimes that was 20 people. Sometimes that was 200 people. Sometimes that was 2,000 people. Yeah. Sometimes that went on for 20 minutes. Sometimes that's an hour and 20 minutes. And there really is no thing. I, it, it's a body of work collective body of work. Mm-hmm. I can go up in, in a corporate situation, in a cruise ship situation, in a church, in a biker bar, and I am a versatile, like a utility infielder in baseball. Mm-hmm. Utility infielders don't get paid the most. They, they don't. But every team needs a good utility infielder. It's mm-hmm. almost like I'm too diverse. I don't have that brand. You know, well, Mr. Lucky, I have bad luck. Okay, that's something that a radio guy gave me a while back. I tried to do it like a wrestler gimmick pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I didn't do it as much as I really should have. And it's like, it's kind of, it's, I don't know. So I've made, I made a lot of mistakes, but the, but the next moment is I've been able to string together a body of work that people now will say, I saw you 20 years ago at Zadie's in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And I brought friends out to see you again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that really makes me feel great. Yeah. So my show, my show is up there with the best of them. My business is down there with the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got a friend of mine that's a, that's a bodybuilder. He's a bodybuilder, and he said the big thing is with bodybuilding, you got you got to make your whole body. He goes, there's guys that have the huge arms and the huge chest, and they have legs that look like pencils because they mm. don't want to work out legs. Mm-hmm. That's not the sexy one. 
Yeah. You know, they wanted to work on their show and I got new bits. I got, but they don't work on their business. Yeah. So their show is great. Their business sucks. That's 90% of good comedians. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it really you know, is. They, they, need a, they do need a manager. They do need someone that guide their career, their business. You, you were in the real world. So you coming into it in your fifties, that's you have a whole different, uh, and correct, I might say, uh, viewpoint of the bigger picture, which most guys in our twenties did not have. Right. Right. And which I, there, there's no way I would have had. I, you know, I, I just know that. No, Right, and you can't expect that of them. You know, what if the Beatles would have would have not? You know, you got signed by a record company and they had a manager and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. It's not just comedians. You know, in, in your twenties, I don't know how it is for women, but you know, they maybe they're thinking about having babies or whatever. But guys are not thinking business in their twenties. Most no. of them. No. Yeah, the, we're think, thinking about uh, uh, sex, and that's about it. <laughs> that's about it and if yeah. comedy is a rock star that'll get us laid yeah. uh, two guys walk into a bar uh-huh. <laughs> oh man well this is you know um, this has been uh, we've been talking for an hour already um, really I'm sorry I've been running my mouth no this is questions, and I hope yeah. this helps younger people my, and older people too my favorite episodes are when I don't have to talk very much. So this is the, the, this is absolutely perfect. I um, f- be, before I ask you my last question, one of the things you know I, I would like for us to do is um, I don't want this to be the last time we talk. I, I you know I think some of the things that you write on the Facebook page, the Maxwell Method, um, I, I think are worthy of us maybe discussing for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, and I can tack it on to one of my interviews. Um, so I would like to invite you back uh, at any time you want to, and maybe we can talk about, uh, you know, you know, I'll just hit you up and say, hey, Dobie, the, what you wrote today was good. You want to talk about it? And we can just uh, do a quick phone call, and I'll keep popping you up because you, you've got a lot. You know, I could probably talk to you until tomorrow morning and not even hit the tip of the iceberg of everything that you have shown the group and shown individual comics uh, one-on-one. So I, I think the way you approach the business and approach uh comedy with with that objective view is very refreshing and any i i think that you're you know you're just you're that golden nugget that everybody needs but i couldn't be more uh, grateful and humbled and flattered to hear that you know i I, I had more faults than anybody. I'm an asshole. I'm a dented can. It took me decades to mm-hmm. get myself together. My my siblings and I didn't speak for 30 years. We didn't, we didn't live in the same house. I got back with my siblings, and it might be late in the game, mm-hmm. but my life is better now than it's ever been ever. I may not ever be the quote unquote famous comedian or anything like that, but if I could be a mentor to people like you or to the young talents coming up in South Bend or South Africa or South Britain or wherever uh-huh. it is, then <laughs> if that's my legacy, I'm cool with that. That's- I really appreciate that anytime, 24-7. If anybody is in the group, they want to get a hold of me, it might take a while. I will get back to you. Just personal message me. I'll do the best I can, and uh, let's let's all make the world better. The world is fucked up, shithole. Yeah. going to get some laughs and some love and some positivity. So thanks for your podcast. I appreciate you having me on you never don't be a stranger anytime i can ever help you you call me back right hey i did have one last thing um just just because it's fresh uh you know we we had uh uh kobe bryant and his daughter die in that uh helicopter crash and there was huge debate in our community about uh what's too soon and okay kobe you know he he's he was a 
uh, alleged rapist and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, what's funny and uh, what do you do about something like this? And I I saw some. You say it's far away. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some terrible, terrible things written. Uh, you know, I, I was very sorry. I opened my Twitter, um, and, and, uh, and a couple other Facebook pages that aren't nearly as quality as yours. Um, and I, I just, um, my, my opinion is the same as yours, you know, um, tragedy is not something that you want to jump on the bandwagon on and, and, uh, uh, get the first good hot take out there because it it ain't funny here's a couple of things to remember on that okay number one tragedies are never going to stop mm-hmm. i'm old and you've got a crew in your 20s the first tragedy that i remember was the space shuttle the first time mm-hmm. that it blew up the space yeah. shuttle blew up twice and this is i think probably 1986 so a lot of people aren't even alive that are listed to this i'm sure but mm-hmm. i was an opening act then and it was the first week i ever did on the road it was in pittsburgh at the club called the funny bone there and the headliner who i won't name who i haven't heard from since mm-hmm. uh it happened that week and he did a joke quote unquote and i use that term very loosely right. on stage that week and it sucked the energy out of the room oh, yeah. immediately and, and he, he never got him back mm-hmm. and he said and he said from the stage fuck you people that's funny in two weeks it's going to be killing <laughs> well i'm sure it wasn't killing in two weeks and he never went anywhere with that yeah and even if it's a well-structured joke I mean, see, comedy a lot of times is, is a defense mechanism for shock. Mm-hmm. Something shocks us, somebody passes away, we don't expect, we do a line, it's a double meaning, well, oh, that's kind of funny, but if, what if you knew those people? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's the same thing, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, that's another thing that happened in the early 90s, I was a serial killer, if you don't know who that was, mm-hmm. out of Milwaukee. Well, I grew up in Milwaukee, I was on the radio in the morning, uh, at the morning show, the morning that that story broke worldwide. Mm-hmm. And we went on the air and said, look, we're supposed to be a funny morning show. This happening is out of Milwaukee. We're not going to do jokes about it because it's a very serious thing until it all unfolds. Mm-hmm. And then about two weeks later, we saw how grisly and horrible it was. There was a comedian that went on stage at a local comedy club in Milwaukee and did a quote-unquote joke about Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, what nobody realized was one of the victim's siblings was in the audience. Oh, man. And she screamed. And she mm. came up on stage and she slapped him. Oh. And he's a mild-mannered guy. And I'm not going to mention his name either. Mm. But it's, and, and they called the cops and they had to stop the show. And it was on the news that night. Comedian made a joke about Jeffrey Dahmer, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, you have no idea who you're touching. And comedians right. tend to be callous. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot to shock us. It takes mm-hmm. a lot to, to have empathy, especially if you're young. And, well, it's a funny line. And it might be a funny line, and you might want to share it with other comedians, and that's okay. We're all ghouls in a certain way. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie to that. <laughs> but to do it on stage in a public venue, any kind of when you when you see when I it's so funny. My my landlord knocked on my door and said, "Kobe Bryant just died in a helicopter crash." The first thing I thought of was, "There's open micers that are going to try to do jokes about this." Yep. I have to make that post in my group every time. There's a school shooting. Somebody dies. I mean, you know, Betty White is 182. If she dies, okay, you kind of expected it. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant's a young guy, totally shocking. He didn't expect it. That 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 truly had some ripples, yeah. you know. And I said, please stay away from it. Don't do it on stage. If you want to be known, that's not the way you want to be known, right? Because there will be you. You have no idea. What if somebody that owns a comedy club hired Kobe Bryant? You have no idea where mm-hmm. you're going. That you are walking through a minefield yeah. with big blue clown shoes on. You're going to blow both of your legs off. Yeah, stay away. It, it can absolutely ruin your career. Before it even starts. Yep, absolutely. And, and, and I know that the, the temptation is there. Stay away. You're yep. playing with the with matches. 
Now, the only the, the only um, thing that I would say about that is your own tragedy. Make all the jokes you want about that. <laughs> if, if it happened in your well, yeah. life, then and and you know that. And uh, you know it's. Uh, but, but even then, I'm going I'm to step on you a little bit there. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but uh, you know, yeah, that that's true to a degree. But no, but there, there are comics I've seen from from all walks of life that have anything from cerebral palsy to missing limbs to a lot of things that are pretty pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. You know, I got you got cancer survivors, those kind of things. Don't open with that. Yeah, if you you know what I'm saying. I, I, there's a guy that just I, I'm not going to mention any names, but he he went up on stage and he was a cancer survivor, and he was had this horrible twice. You know, he had the radiation and he lost body parts and blah blah blah. And he opened with that, mm-hmm. and then he yelled at the crowd, "You fuckers aren't laughing at this shit." Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you, they got to like you before yeah. they can yeah. like you, know you, trust you. Then you can go off on your tangents right walk up to me you know uh i am scared my uncle touched me when i was eight well don't <laughs> open with that <laughs> yeah it just makes people sad yeah and it, it, it tenses up the room and this is the craft this is this takes years to learn have some mentors i always say, I call it baby teeth mm-hmm. you know your baby teeth have reason to be there and then they fall out one by one and you never need them again. Right. They never come back because you grow. The same as with your, your first bits that you do when you get on stage. A year from now, you're not going to be doing those bits anymore. Mm. Don't talk about your innermost secrets and demons and, and I hate this, Petrus, and, and this happened to me. Talk about something easy, mm. something that, that's not going to offend and go down the, well, I'm not going to be a pussy. I'm going to be an artist. Well, that <laughs> might be true, but not in kindergarten or first grade, you're not. Yeah. You got you got to learn the fundamentals first. Yeah. Something that's very very innocuous and easy, and then work your way up. Then you can go whatever direction mm-hmm. you want. Right. Exactly. So these are all, they're all tips and points that people don't think about. Yeah. They don't think about it. So thanks for you letting me get it out there one more time. Yeah. So hopefully some young kid will listen and think, okay, maybe one of these tips I'll listen to. Yeah. I, I, I hope so. Um, before, before we sign off, um, can you uh, just say a few words about uh, your uh, book, Monkey in the Middle? Well, thank you very much for that kind plug, sir. Uh, <laughs> we all have things that happen to our in our lives. Mm-hmm. I had a best friend, and my best friend robbed the bank that he used to work at, and he robbed it twice. <laughs> and the second time, he tried to blame it on me, and I had to wear a wire for the government to get him to confess that he did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time he did it, we uh, he, we. He had $105,000 of stolen bank money in a rental car as we drove from Milwaukee to Las Vegas and back. And he, had, he didn't tell me that he did it. I had no mm-hmm. idea. So all these things went into this story that took about seven years to play out. Mm-hmm. And I almost went to prison, but I didn't. And there's funny parts in it, and there's not funny parts in it. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do going back to my head. And uh, it's now hopefully going to be made into a movie. I was out in Los Angeles twice last year. And if you've ever seen a movie that's from a book, it's, it's always different. They all change the movie. Yeah. You know? I'm sure a couple, a couple of Wayans brothers are going to be playing <laughs> Buddy and Me. And <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner will be in it. And a talking duck. And it's going to be nothing like the story is. But uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a hard thing to do. And now it, it really has... Uh, it's grown some legs. I get I get emails every week. I don't know who the hell you are, but somebody went to your comedy show and bought your book, and they uh-huh. made me read it. And I didn't want to read it, but now I did. I couldn't put it down. Uh-huh. They asked me questions about it. Did it really happen? I mean, everybody's got a best friend, boys and girls. What if your best friend, since you were a kid, turned on you, and you had two choices? Go to jail for a bank, bank robbery you didn't do, or testify against them in federal court. That, that was my choice. It's not, it wasn't funny. And the whole time when this was going on, I was a comedian. Mm-hmm. I had to be funny at night and you know, get paid and get laughs and then go during the day and try to keep myself out of prison. Yeah. It was, it was wow. not a pleasant situation. 
So you want to be a comedian that badly, and you and you're willing to go through that? Then come talk to me. Yeah. Well, the the, the book's called Monkey in the Middle, and how how can people get that book? Uh, you can get it on my website, dobymaxwell dot com. Okay. Eckhart's Press, which is a horrible name. E C K H A R T Z Press. Mm-hmm. And it's one one button right there. Okay. But uh, yeah, and I'll still be able now because uh, now people have bought it and liked it. If you don't like it, I'll buy it back. Uh-huh. Money okay. back guarantee. Great. It, it's it so sounds. Nice yeah, it sounds it sounds great. I'm going to get me a copy for sure. Um, I I I just want to thank you for being on the show, Dobie. You were one of the one of the ones I wanted to get, and uh, you know, obviously, you know the that the idea behind uh, us maybe talking again. I think I think it's a good idea because uh, the way you express yourself on on the Maxwell Method group is very helpful. Um, I I read each post uh, several times through so that uh, I get good understanding of it, and uh, I th- I think it's like a good encyclopedia for any uh, up and coming comic or somebody who's been in it for a few years and uh, maybe uh, wants to find their way and and be better. It ke- it keeps us all sharp. It keeps people say, "Why do you teach classes?" It keeps me like a little league coach. Keeps me sharper on the fundamentals myself. So mm-hmm. thanks for having me, man. Keep it keep it going. Pay it forward. Anything I can ever do, I always will, buddy. Thanks. Great. Mark. Thanks so much. You, you you have a great night, Doby. I already did. I got to do your show. <laughs> so thanks, guys. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you.